Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Good afternoon, Windy. And our tactics guy, and my January transfer window signing, opportunistically, Nathan A. Clark. <laughs> Hello, Nathan. Hi, hi. How you doing, boys? Very good. Not too very bad good. at all. Very good. Uh, that's after a defeat, Bardi. So so why are you uh, feeling very good? Uh, it, it was um, it was a it was just a surprising defeat if you, if there exists such a thing. Um, I was at the game and the general mood after the match was very different from um, from when we lose normally. There was a, an air of optimism around the ground, and although we got beaten, I don't think it was quite the um, Bayern Munich thrashing that some people were predicting. And I, I thought we generally um, accounted for ourselves pretty well. Uh, so. Some people hate this, some people love this. In XG terms, there were two scorelines which I saw. So Michael Cayley's model uh, had it at 1.7, 1.7, so essentially tied. And the understat model had it at Spurs 1.1 and Liverpool 1.78. So even at the sort of more pessimistic uh, XG of the understat model, still a close game, Nathan. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I I thought that there was like a strong potential for us to have been blown away in that first half. Uh, obviously, they didn't rack up huge numbers of chances, but I think they had you know the chance to create chances. Um, but like once we got through that, I thought we had we had a really strong second half, uh, and 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 maybe we got a tad lucky or whatever in the first half. I don't think we executed the game plan like we wanted to. Um, but I think we can definitely be proud of the second half and and the um yeah the the way we gave Liverpool a, a good scare in the second half. Yeah, so we'll talk a lot about the formation I think because it was interesting and the team selection was also interesting. But broadly, just to sort of talk about the ebbing and flowing of the game, I thought we started the game really well. The first fifteen minutes, I felt like it was one of the more organised fifteen minutes I've seen. I was playing the first half under Mourinho, and that was pleasing. Uh, Liverpool then took control, and the narrative from the common was essentially that Liverpool could up it at any moment and score and I personally was nervous because I felt like we were just sort of waiting for them to score but I also felt
felt in hindsight that we contained them really well. And I would say that was the same in the second half. And that it wasn't just a case of Liverpool being able to up the up the gears as and when they chose. Actually, it was us defending intelligently and, and managing them well. Bardi, which, which kind of side of that were you on? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think, I think if Liverpool could have scored two or three goals, they would have. I don't think they were settling for 1-0 because um, as it was 1-0, we were constant, we were still in the game. So I, I think Liverpool were pushing as hard as they could, but we, we contained them. Um, we had individuals who are, are known for making errors in, in decision making, in tackling and stuff. And they, they, by and large, were pretty good. Aurier and Rose, for example. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with how we played and the fact that I, I was always doubtful whether or not these players could actually stick to a tactical, almost defensive setup, and and they did, and they were helped in large parts due to um, um, Sanchez and Tanganga being put back into the back line. I think we looked far more um, physical and and far more secure with those two there than we have in recent weeks. So you've touched on it there. The big talking point pre-match was that Jaffa Tanganga was brought in for his first Premier League start. And Mourinho said specifically in pre-game stuff that he was there because he's quick and he was expecting him to be a, a useful player in terms of recovering the ball and chasing Liverpool's quick forwards in behind and making recovery challenges. Uh, Tanganga is a young player who I've admired since I first saw him play for the under-18s. He kind of... Um, what, what stood out for me at under-18 level certainly was his bravery. He's he's a player who is happy to throw himself at absolutely everything. And that's not um, to say that he's not a proactive player either, because he can certainly do that part. But when it came to it, he would put his body on the line. And that was apparent within the first two minutes yeah. where he stopped mm-hmm. something on the line. Nathan, how um, how did you feel when you saw Tanganga's name in the starting lineup? <laughs> I was surprised, to be fair. Um, but uh, so Mourinho sort of talked about his, his pace pre-match and, and sort of made sense of it that way. Um and he played the sort of centre-back, right-back hybrid role. So it makes sense mm. that you want a, a fast centre-back for that. But I, I also, for me, that also confirmed his intentions in the match, which is that he wanted to play probably higher than we did for most of the match in terms of our defensive line and, and worry about that space in behind. Um yeah, I don't. Know. It's um, still slightly surprising, um, but he, you know, he obviously uh, put forward a good account of himself. What did you think of him, Wendy? I yeah, I thought he did a really good job. Um, so if if you were being really harsh, you'd say that perhaps for the goal we could have got tighter. But for me, that was a lovely touch from Firmino, and not many centre backs would have been able to recover the space there to to have any impact on the on the strike. Um, there were a couple of times where he actually brought the ball out from the back effectively as well and stepped into midfield and looked like he could kind of have composure on the ball, which was really, really pleasing. Um, the formation was interesting, though. Bardi, you you immediately saw that it wasn't a sort of traditional back three. Uh, you, you, in fact, took a photo to show us, like, essentially, at, at one point, it looked like we were lining up the standard back four, but it was it was very much kind of... We, we were comfortable with moving between a back five, I say back five rather than back three, and a back four, um, uh, throughout the game, did you think, Bardi? Yeah, but from where I sit, um, it did seem we were playing like a, we were playing a back four for the majority of the first half. But I, I was also quite lucky because um, it directly in my eye line is the right back. So I, every week I get the joys of um, Aurier. But um, this week I got to see Tanganga's um, debut up close and personal. And I, th- I thought he was excellent. I thought he was good on the ball. Like you said, he, he moves out with it. He's brave in the tackle. Um, the support he got from the crowd was really nice to see. And I honestly think... He's he's a prospect because it's not just um, it's not just the way he defends and moves. He actually seems to be quite smart and his movement is good. And he did get done by Firmino, but there's been.
been plenty of um, centre-backs who, who have been done and will continue to be done by Firmino, especially in such a tight space. But I was very happy to see him play. And I thought Sanchez, who's missed a few games, I thought he was very assured as well. And um, his his speed was um, very useful for us as, also. I agree. I fully agree. Uh, for me, I thought Alderweireld was imperious in this. Kind of back to his best. Yeah. And I wonder whether that just has something to do with the fact that he had quick players around him uh, who, who can kind of... Yeah react in the way that he does to things and it allows us to actually play a high line effectively whereas Vertonghen to yeah. me looks unable to do that these days uh, the interesting thing is we've heard that Vertonghen is probably going to sign a new contract probably for a year uh, I find that really surprising given his performances this season but uh, you feel like that might be a good thing Bardi to kind of bring through the young players with him still at the club yeah I don't think that's a problem um, you t- I think you touched on a really good point there that we didn't in the Southampton game and the other matches we've seen where we've had Vertonghen and Alderweireld lined up it's always Alderweireld that's having to turn and chase mm. where yesterday he was very much the organiser and he had the bodies around him and I think perhaps if um, if Alderweireld's not playing perhaps Vertonghen can be that guy and play with the faster guys alongside him I think the problem now is when we play the, when we play the two Belgians Alderweireld is the fastest and he's not fast at all so I, I think keeping Vertonghen for another year get him working alongside Tanganga a bit more time with Sanchez and everything else it's, it's not a bad thing we're not going to go out and sign a centre-back um, of better quality than Vertonghen to kind of help train and look at he's an excellent squad player I think okay fair enough and Mourinho is still being linked with a number of centre-backs as well it does seem that that's a position he's identified as one to to strengthen so it'll be interesting Mm. to see what happens there across this January transfer window and then the impact that that has on Tanganga's future and also that of Foyth who's already been linked with the move away um, which concerns me slightly but a lot of people won't be that bothered about it I'm going back to the kind of overall team performance I certainly noticed that once Christian Eriksen and Danny Rose went off to be replaced by Giovanni Lo Celso and Eric Lamella we certainly stepped it up and looked like a more cohesive team was that the same for you Nathan yeah yeah massively um I so it's interesting um uh, throughout the season but especially as Mourinho we've seen a lot of adjusting of game plans um midway through games and I think this one was just we finally got to execute the game plan that he had from the beginning once we had the the necessary players on the pitch mm. um Eriksen yeah I mean he's come under so much flack that I think is undeserved but uh against Liverpool he was clearly you know thinking about the Milanese housing market um uh, and, and once he was replaced by Lo so we also moved to a three-man midfield. So Delhi drops back. Um, yeah. So there's there's a tactical tweak there. But um, suddenly we were able to contest the ball in midfield, turn the ball over, and, and attack the spaces behind. All through the game, to be fair, I I was impressed by how well we we offered a threat on the counter attack. I don't think there was anything especially um, tactically. Uh, inventive about that it was largely just sort of son and lucas do your thing um and like mm. lo and behold those are two excellent 1v1 players um and they sort of kept liverpool really on their toes throughout throughout all the time that they were on top in the first half um, but then in the second half we were able to get to them um and get the ball to them sort of higher up the pitch and and, and make make some some exciting attacks at the end of the game there that was um that was interesting wasn't it because essentially what he was saying there was we haven't got a game plan as such or the game plan is 
is just to give it to Lucas and Son with as few players to beat as possible. And I've got to say, I've been very critical of Lucas. I thought he was really good in this game. He took a lot of responsibility uh, for single-handedly running at Liverpool defence and did it very effectively. I, I thought that was one of his better performances in the Spurs show in, in the league game, uh, particularly given the, the level of competition he was up against. Son, slightly less so, I would say. He was playing from the left and quite high up on the left. Yeah. Uh, I felt that perhaps he could have played a little more centrally to, to give more of a direct threat for his centre along with Lucas. Um, I didn't think he was as effective, but yeah, Lucas did a good job, a really good job. Um, Bardi, it was interesting that Ericsson got booed when he went off initially, and then obviously there was a bit of cheering when he came back on at the end to clap the fans and apparently wave goodbye. What was the what was your feeling on that from within the stadium? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of anger towards him. He was he was pretty awful. <laughs> he was um, he was the worst. He was our worst outfield player for sure. Um, I he, he he didn't press properly. He was jogging. He was jogging around a lot. Whereas everyone else was closing with a bit of kind of at least attempting to shut the space. He was kind of jogging around. His his quality on the ball was terrible. His set pieces weren't great. He he had a he had an awful awful match, and he should have been substituted earlier. Um, I I I'm I don't want to keep this Christian Eriksen. I don't know who this stranger is, and I think it's best for all parties now if he just either he gets sold and goes, or he just sits in the reserve for the rest for the rest of the season. We're not gaining. We're not uh, we're not learning anything. We're not gaining anything from him playing at the moment. Um, and you could see the atmosphere around the stadium, the atmosphere in the players. The attitude changed when Lamella and Lo Celso come, came on. And Lo Celso, uh, had he got that equaliser, I think he would have been deserved because he's so he's so much braver at the moment than Ericsson and he's so much smarter with the ball. And Ericsson, I think it's, it's it. That's it. That's, there's nothing left to get from him anymore. And it's, it's very sad this is how it's going to peter out. But that's what happens. I think... Um, I think Ericsson is a symbol of mismanagement, mismanagement at the highest level of the club. Ericsson should have been sold two seasons ago when we would have got Coutinho levels of money rather than allowing this to kind of drag out and drag out and drag out. Yeah, you're spot on there. I think um, my fear is that he signs a pre-contract agreement rather than us getting a fee for him now. And mm-hmm. I-, I think if he were to sign a pre-contract agreement, I think Mourinho would want to keep him around the first team squad, which is actually something I disagree with. I, I would rather him, like you say, just be kind of van- Vanquished and, and we yep. start bringing through others. But having said that, him being on the bench to come on for the last 20 minutes of games we're losing wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Kind of like what he did against Villa on opening day, where he really did change the nature of that game. And perhaps perhaps there could be um, a bit of a swan song yet. But obviously the ideal solution is we get a fee for him now. We get something back and we can reinvest that into into the squad, into huge gaps that are in the squad, which we'll speak about shortly. Um, the other player to mention, I think, is Harry Winks, primarily because he's had so much criticism, whereas in this game, he kind of held the midfield together by himself. I thought he had a really, really steady game. Nathan, what did you make of Winks' performance? <laughs> uh, I was uh, less... Uh, okay. okay. Uh, certainly the first half, you know, as a, as a, as a team effort, we failed to... Um, meet Liverpool as high up the pitch as we would have liked. That's largely because of our weakness in midfield. Now, obviously, we've explained that Ericsson was our, our true uh, weak link there uh, yesterday. Mm. Um, and so, obviously, you know, Winks on his own against a, a highly tenacious three-man midfield. What is he going to do? Um, but I, I wouldn't sort of say that he, he shines despite the circumstances. But then in the second half, yet yeah, moved to our, our own three-man midfield, um, dropped Delhi in, uh, brought Lo Celso in, uh, and I 
I thought he had a, a, a decent second half. That's it. Going man for man in the second half meant that he was a lot freer and it gave him a little bit extra time on the ball to pick the passes. And that's what he does so well. So I think it's kind of it's all about making sure that you're getting the best out of every player in the team with the, the tactics that you can use with the players available. Um, and I, I personally thought second half Winks was was the Winks that I want to see and that we've certainly seen in the past. Uh, Bardi, what was it like watching Winks from within the stadium? Yeah, I thought Winks had an excellent game as well. There was a few few moans and um, complaints where occasionally he, he pirouetted away from the play. So he got the ball yeah. and, he, and instead of turning and then facing the play and getting us moving that way, his first instinct, instinct was to turn back towards his own goal. And he did slow us down, especially when we're so reliant on the on the counter-attack. Mm. But I I thought... I thought he was tenacious. I thought he was pretty good on the ball. And I, I thought he had a, like you, I thought he had a good game. And it was more kind of winks at the Bernabeu than it was winks and, at Middlesbrough. So, yeah. So, it was, it, was a, it was a good showing from him. So, Nathan, with Kane being out and us playing Lucas up top and Son there to help him on the counter, Delhi actually dropping you a bit deeper. Is this how you expect us to manage the Kane absence initially? Probably. So, we, we specifically played a two-man front line of, of Delhi and Lucas, whereas uh, in the other game he played Sun up top. I think we'll probably see more of the Sun up top sort of doing an impression of a striker, as, as Mourinho would see it, rather than this sort of um, duo of, of, of Delhi and Lucas. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, it will be the attackers that we have available in, in some variation. And I suppose the other thing of note is that Troy Parrott was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't on the bench. And given Mourinho's comments about Parrott's needing to sign a contract before anything else, do we think that was the reason why? Do we think it's a case of unless you sign that deal, you're not going to get used, Troy? Yeah, I guess so, and and I I have some sympathy with that idea, but but aside from that, Mourinho has has said you know he's only seventeen, he's not even ready to go out on loan. Um, and like obviously there's there's absolutely no rush uh with Troy from a development perspective. I think at seventeen, um, but there is a need in the squad, and for me, Parrot is old enough because he's good enough to at least pick up some minutes here and there, or or ride the bench or whatever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So next up is Middlesbrough in the cup replay. Bardi, what are you expecting the team lineup to be? Are you thinking much the same? Are you thinking a couple of changes? Uh, I think there'll be a few changes. Uh, it's not. I don't think we have a squad to to do wholesale changes, but I think we'll perhaps see Delhi rested. Yeah. I think a few key players who've who've played a lot will will probably come out. Um, I would like to see Skip get some minutes and possibly Parrot do an appearance as well. But yeah, I, I think there'll be some. I think there'll be some major changes. Sessignon will start, and yeah, I can't 
can't think of anyone else. I, th- I think Tanganga will probably start alongside Batonga. He certainly earned the start, Tanganga, I think, based on this performance. And there, there shouldn't be too much fatigue in his legs there, which is the other benefit of him being able to play. I would like to see myself, Lo Celso, yeah. come in for Ericsson. Uh, mm. I'd also like to see, like you mentioned there, Bardi, I'd like to see Sessegnon play. I thought Rose was one of the most disappointing performers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to throw him under the bus on this occasion because actually uh, he's he's played like half an hour of football under Mourinho. So how can we expect him to suddenly be at peak fitness? It's just unrealistic to expect that. So, uh, yeah, not not all on Rose, but his performance levels have just generally dropped in the last 18 months anyway. So uh, yeah. and you start thinking, what's the point? You know, he's an aging player who we need to start moving beyond. Why not just play Sessegnon? He's looked fine, absolutely fine. And there's obviously a higher ceiling there. I, I, specifically for this game, because uh, I, I was thinking, like, <laughs> why did Danny Rose start? I think specifically for this game, like Mourinho really wanted the mixture of a player who can play a proper like a defensive left back role and also play mm. the wing role um and um and have some variety and some option there um so i think that's essentially why rose side in the end yeah he's he's not match fit he's not in the right headspace um we'd probably <coughs> have been better off with Sess and young um but i do understand why rose started this particular game with this particular mm. setup um but from this point on you know I, it's got <laughs> that should be it for rose i wondered if as well it was to do with the sort of the mental battle with uh, alexander arnold there trying to to sort of almost intimidate the uh, the fullback and not let him kind of get on top of him early. Whereas because Sessegnon's a bit more timid, perhaps sure, perhaps yeah. Mourinho felt that Alexander Arnold could get the beating of him and then he'd go into his shell and so he'd just beat him over and over. Whereas obviously Rose is uh, quite a feisty character yeah. and wouldn't allow it to happen. I mean, it, Rose Alexander Arnold did have a pretty quiet game, but um, Robertson he's he's something else. He's he's like a lo- he's like a locomotive train. That guy. He doesn't stop running. There's nothing to him, but he's so quick and strong. He's, a, he's an unbelievable signing. And, you know, from Hull, they picked him out yeah, of nowhere. He's a, he's a fantastic left back. There's some great stuff in there. One of the most um, like, uh, inspired signings of the, like, the last decade. Like, I, when, he, when, they, when he signed from Hull, yeah. I thought, what are they doing? This is like a completely average fullback for a, for a, a poor quality Premier League team. Um, and since then, he's been absolutely incredible. Yeah, he, I think he's one of the best left backs I've seen in my in the flesh he's he's insane he's a very complete player as well yeah I feel as though he's the kind of player that could slot into central midfield if needed and do a really good job there because he's kind of got everything in his game he's he's a very very talented lad um, but you know the, as Bardi quite rightly points out the ability to get up and down the line is just it's, almost, it's unparalleled I think it's so good he's constantly running back uh, yeah. but also always there when you know you need an outlet on the left hand side he's, he's always there it's incredible his ability to just pop up at the right time um, and yeah, he looks us. like a, a cross-country yeah. runner. That you can imagine him, but it's school, like year seven, year eight, when they used to make you run through the fields. He would have just torn the whole school apart. That boy, he's a, he's a whippet. Yeah, no, he's great. I mean, oh, to have fullbacks like Liverpool—ridiculous. <laughs> um, let's talk about the January transfer windows since we're in the midst of it. There have been some some new links this week, so I suppose the first one to talk about is Kshishov Piontek, uh, who I know nothing about. Uh, do either of you want to talk about him? Do you do you know much about him? 
Um, other than the fact that he was like the the sensation last year, he was he just seemed to be at, at any ball that went in the box, it just arrived at his at his body, and he was able to to, to tuck the ball away from from all different kinds of angles. He's very um, I know Ledenovsky is an it's an easy way to easy comparison to make, but he just seems to be able to score with every single part of his body, and that is if you go through his YouTube reel, you can you can see that headers, left foot volleys, tap ins, penalties. He, he he's got the work. But um, it, and Milan has talk about the reason why he's fallen off a cliff is because he's taken the number nine shirt and uh, he should he should have stuck with the nineteen because I don't think I don't think there's been very many successful number nines in Milan since Inzaghi so perhaps it's the curse of the number nine or maybe I don't know his xG how it stands up but maybe he's just um, not getting the service I mean Milan is a terrible terrible football team so I kind of I kind of understand why he's not scoring as as much but. I think 24 years old, I've now flipped my, my, my opinion on this. I think at 24 years old, a guy who's that natural a finisher, I, I don't see the problem with us taking a punt on him for something around the 20 million mark. I don't, I don't see a problem with it and I'd be on board with so it. So the 20 million, uh, bracket now is equivalent, I would say, to the 10 million bracket a few years ago. Yeah. So that feels like that feels like a relatively uh, cheap, low risk signing. Uh, Nathan, he's a pure finisher, is that right? <laughs> yeah. So Bardi's sort of done his his strengths there, which like yeah, his reading of the <laughs> ball in the air, his off the ball movement, his finishing. Uh, he's got a decent jump. He's good with his head. Um, but outside of that, there's sort of um, not a lot going on. Like he his ball control is is fairly weak. He's not fast. Um, he. Uh, uh, he's not especially uh, strong. He, um, yeah, he, I, outside of the box, he's not really contributing to play at all. And I, and I think that a lot of fans are sort of um, at peace with the idea of that. But I think the way that we are at the moment as a team uh, means that he may well be sort of pretty absent in games. Um, and if that's the case early on and it gets off to a poor start, um, then the, the, this, then an awful narrative built, you know, that's the, always the case with strikers. Yeah. Once you've gone three, four, five games where you've been quiet, uh, suddenly you're a fraud. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can I can see he does have um a little bit of the Helder Postigas and the Soldados yeah. around him that he's he's not he doesn't have one exception. I think someone on on I was having a chat with someone on Twitter and someone said whenever a foreign striker needs to come to England, they they have to have a something either speed or strength or something that can see them through the the kind of dogged days where the ball's not running through. And I could see I easily see him going four or five games without scoring but I, I think right now instead of having to use someone like Lucas or Son who who, who aren't natural number nines I think we're probably in a better probably in a better place if we had a Piontek to go through the middle rather than a um, a false striker that kind of system we're playing now and I guess one positive of the fact that he's a penalty box player is that we've not had that for a while we've not we've not had the luxury of a player just constantly being in the box m- making sure defenders can't leave him um, mm. can't, can't follow him around the pitch like they can do with Kane and that can create space for others so you'd expect then Son to have a little bit more, more room to work with perhaps Delhi as well so there, there is one positive there even if he's not the kind of player who's going to run the channels or link play or you know do the things that we, we're so used to seeing Kane do um, so you never know it could it could it could work out where we'd sign him uh, the other one being very strongly linked to the point where we almost expect the signing to be confirmed early next week is uh, Gedson Fernandez from from Benfica who we're expecting to join on an 18-month loan deal with 
with the option to buy for around 50 million euros. Is he someone you know a bit about, Nathan? Uh, a tiny bit. I've sort of started to do my, my homework on him. And obviously I've asked Thiago, uh, a Portuguese football expert, and, and, and looks around that way. He's, um, I mean, yeah, we've been crying out for a midfielder and he, I guess he is a midfielder, but he's not really um, the profile that I think we're after. So... Um, he is a sort of a box-to-box player, um, runs with the ball a fair amount, uh, does put up like good defensive numbers. So he's a very active player, um, but uh, he's not someone who's going to like shield the defense. And I don't think he he sort of has especially impressive attacking output. Um, so sort of the easy comparison is is Musa Sissoko, and I guess it makes sense in the fact that you know Sissoko's just blown his knee up, and and we want to uh, hmm. sort of. Come for that i mean that isn't the the way i would go about building our squad but i i imagine that is the the thought process especially the idea of a loan is um we get temporary cover or not even that temporary cover for sissoko um yeah someone who does a lot of running uh he's he's probably well he is less technically limited than sissoko um but then you know most players are um Mm -hmm. uh yeah i don't know it's slightly a, a, a weird one but i guess a warm body in midfield is a warm body in midfield at the moment yeah sure I can I can appreciate that I would say the bits that I so I've watched some YouTube compilations and they don't tell you a great deal about a player obviously because you tend you tend to just see their highlights um, but the, the key strengths are that he's very good in 1v1 play so he can beat players with yeah. uh, his, his technique and with his with his pace and acceleration um, he seems to be able to play a good through ball he's got relatively good vision and the ability to play a through ball in the same way that I would say Ndombele has um, the thing that impressed me a bit less is that he wants lots of touches in midfield and I don't think he'll get away with that in the Premier League I think he would really need to adjust quickly uh, which is something we said about the Celso earlier in the season as well that he wanted too many touches and actually the Celso is a player that uh, profiles closely to to Gedson um, I, I saw uh, something on on Twitter earlier that essentially said that yeah if you look at the numbers from last year someone who who matches closely to him is, is the Celso so that, <laughs> I don't agree that with concerns that me uh, that concerns me a little okay no that's uh, I'm glad you don't agree because I was worried then that we were not going to do the Celso deal, which I really want us to do. I really, yeah, really want too, the Celso to stay. Another player we've been linked with is is Samare, who I believe plays for Lille. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So he, so I, I did that that Twitter poll, or it wasn't. Yeah, I did that poll before asking about which players people wanted to know, and I did go over this on Twitter. So just to sort of recap, um, he's a really sort of talented player, but um, again, I guess sort of a bit like Gedson, he's not a match for what I think that we're after um, so he does play the deepest midfield role but he's he's um, not very defensively involved um, really good passer um, but like yeah he has lower defensive numbers than Winks so he's not Jesus. very dissimilar to Harry Winks essentially I uh, to be frank I think people see like um, a big um, black player and assume that he must be like a huge a defensive out but he's not that at all he's a he's a silky soft touch perhaps a bit more like a how Yaya Toure became in his later years playing that deeper midfield role where he was just using his pure ability there to, to spread yeah. play and such like um we're also consistently being linked again with uh Bruno Fernandes who was linked previously seemed close to joining and uh now Man U seem to want to get the deal done and Spurs are there 
uh, trying to intervene. I'm kind of surprised by this because I just assumed that that we didn't because we didn't get him in the summer. It meant that we weren't as hot on him after all. What do you think would make us come back in for this kind of attacking midfielder body? Um, I think perhaps availability and the 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 Ericsson leaving. Uh, but I, I, I'm not too sure. I don't think this will happen. I can I totally understand why Man U want him. They they need someone at the moment. They're playing Lingard and. I think he would fit quite nicely there. Uh, I don't. I don't think this is going to happen. I think it's too much money for us, and I think we've got other priorities. Okay. And we had a question from Doran, who is Doz twenty three on Twitter. He said, "What would enrage you more, Mourinho being given the funds Poch desperately needed to rebuild a whole new team, or us not rebuilding or strengthening at all and just plodding along?" And uh, Nathan, let's go with you first. <laughs> on that one. Um, it would be like incredibly stupid if we have the funds that we needed to back Pochettino and we instead use them only after he's gone um but we we are you know it is too late for that now we do have to move on so i guess now i would prefer <laughs> that we you know at least try to build our squad how about you buddy yeah nathan I, it always it's like um it's like a horrible breakup whenever <laughs> um nathan talks back about how how things were and what's <laughs> happening uh yeah i think the worst crime tottenham hotspur can do is um plod along but there has to be you, you don't shift you don't do such a massive shift in your club and not change i mean what's the point it's like I, yeah there's a load there's thousands of analogies about breakups so so we've made the change now we have to buy the players that fit Mourinho. unfortunately we never got the play potch didn't get the players he needed but now we have to buy Mourinho's players so my alternate take on this <laughs> is that Pochettino always knew the economic situation at Spurs. I I I feel like um, fans raging that he didn't get backed is is pointless shouting into the void. What we should be talking about is why Pochettino didn't do something differently, knowing the situation as he did. You know, Pochettino and Daniel Levy were very very close, really tight. They kind of they they always were. Uh, they had the same clear line of sight for the club. They knew where the club wanted to go, and they had a clear idea of how to get there until the last couple of years. And I just feel as though rather than moaning about not having funds to spend which he seemed to be doing on a fairly regular basis what he should have been doing was thinking about either other ways to generate money i.e sell ericsson or sell rose or whoever or look at other ways of addressing some of the squad problems be that buying young players from the championship and from league one and developing them or bringing through youth players and trying to develop them and, and he didn't either he just kind of carried on moaning and i think you know, when we bought Musa Sissoko for 30 million, that 30 million felt absolutely huge. And at the time, you probably could have got Grealish, Madison and Sessegnon. I don't know, maybe Madison had already gone by then, but you could have got three yep. talented young players yep. for the same amount of money. And that surely would have made more sense than um, a kind of ageing player who was going to play wide at the time and then ultimately ended up playing midfield. But I, I just feel as though going like rewriting history to make it seem like Poch was on the right side, I think is personally wrong. Obviously, we don't know the inner workings of the club, but I, I feel like Poch gets a, a free ride because he's way more popular than Daniel Levy and, and you know, probably rightly so. Um, OK, we had a question. We had a, a lovely email from Brody Ferson uh, who wanted us to talk about uh, strikers and basically... I think the idea was, were we to sign a Piontek, for example, uh, how could we squeeze that striker and Harry Kane into the same 11? Bardi, what did you, what did you think of that? 
I, I think Piontek and, and Kane could work. Kane is um, more and more dropping away from um, the kind of central striking role. And I think the two of them could, could play or we could play with a um, a different kind of point man instead. Anybody, really. Um, yeah, I, I don't think um, I don't think Mourinho would be adverse to playing two strikers. It's, it's something that we haven't really we haven't really had um, had a chance to test because the strikers we've had have all been extremely faulty. <laughs> so uh, it would be it would be nice to see us have two good strikers in the squad. How about you, Nathan? Do you think there's any way that Mourinho could play a system with two strikers at any one time? Yeah, absolutely. I you know I, I if you make the assumption that um, Piantek sort of works out for us, and I'm I'm fairly pessimistic about him to be absolutely fair um but if, if things were to go really well then yeah i, I imagine we would see a, a mixture of of just piontek on his own just kane on his own and, and both together especially as as you've both sort of said um kane is is more and more a number 10 and piontek must never be allowed the ball outside the box i think my my fear for kane is that he becomes uh the the new rudy where as his legs start to drop away he starts getting deeper and deeper and deeper and i and because of who he is and the, the power he has in the club, the, the day Harry Kane starts playing himself in centre midfield is the day we just need to end, terminate his contract <laughs> and push him out because he's 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 lost his mind because he's not a he's not a midfielder. I, I, so I still think there's a there's a role for him now, but I am worried about how deep he's starting to go. I must admit, guys, I'm I'm hugely conflicted this January because one part of me strongly disagrees with uh making opportunistic signings yeah. just because they're there in players that we yeah. uh, that we don't in positions that we don't need but the other half of me really wants a fucking signing just sign some players levy yeah uh, our friends at the athletic they did a um interesting um article on panic and opportunistic strikers especially bought in the january transfer window and there's a there's a long list of strikers who were signed that had never worked um obviously there's the the freaks which are um Luis Suarez and someone else has just left my mind. But if you look throughout it, it's littered with the Wilfred Bonies, the Fernando Torreses, etc., uh, etc. Et of, of of why strikers in January don't tend to work. And on that cheerful note, <laughs> <laughs> but Piontek is different, man. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review, that would really help.